Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald, and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. Entrepreneurship, in its truest sense, is ultimately about the recognition of opportunity. In every and all businesses, successful or otherwise, begins with the identification of a perceived gap and then a derived service or product is slotted in to fill that need. Yeah, I know, that's obvious. What isn't so clear is the visioning or projecting of trends well enough in advance so as to take advantage of opportunities before others do. Well, on today's show, we have a guest who not only predicted opportunity in a certain sector far before others, but also did so in a country far different than our own as far as culture, language, and customs go. Hey, welcome to the show. So Nikki Van Ingenschnau is the owner and founder of Tokyo Tours, a Japan-based private guided tours business she established there in 2013. Equipped with a bachelor's degree from In Holland in Asian Pacific Management and with 10 plus years of experience in the travel and tourism industry, she has built this thriving business serving the needs of both domestic and international tourists. The company impressively boasts, and get this, a network of 50 plus local guides spread out all over Japan, who conduct private guided tours across the nation. The guides employed by Tokyo Tours speak multiple languages, okay, and get ready for this, including and not limited to English, Japanese, Dutch, French, German, Spanish, and Portuguese. Beyond that, the business also offers LGBTQ guides for clients interested in exploring that aspect of Japanese culture. Tokyo Tours caters to families, couples, people on the go, and even large groups. Now, in serving within the Japan travel and tourism market for multiple years, and in addition to her well-established quality of service, Nikki has managed to build an impressive social community and network of followers. For example, she has nearly 20,000 followers on Instagram, over 30,000 on Facebook, and get ready for this one, nearly 500,000 in one Facebook group alone. Beyond the tours, Nikki is also engaged with consulting and helping those interested in entering the often murky business waters of Japan. In her free time, she volunteers as president of the Japan Fans Foundation. This newly founded nonprofit aims to strengthen the mutual understanding and cultural exchange between Japan and the Netherlands. Through this foundation, Nikki plans various events, such as workshops, trainings, events, complete with keynote speakers and presentations that connect and add value to those looking to better understand Japanese culture. And to top it all off, before this recording, she had let me know that she's actually working on a book now, too. So she's a busy lady. And with that in mind, I really do appreciate you taking some time and joining the show today. Yeah. How are you doing, Nikki? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited for this talk. I mean, there's so many different points that we can, you know, get into here. So, uh, yeah, I've had this circled on the calendar for a while. Mm, good. Yeah. In terms of that, why don't we get started? I do have the first segment lined up and it's something called Coloring Wikipedia. And as my listeners know, it's just a segment where I read off a definition of what the guest does. It brings everybody up to speed. It's kind of a nice launching pad into the the talk itself. And what I did here with you, I mean, I could have went with entrepreneur, because that certainly fits. But I went with tour guide. I think that's, you know, we're going to have a lot of discussion on that point. So if that's okay with you, I'd like to, to read off that definition. That sounds really good, because also the definition of tour guide company is not clear to many people. And they often don't 
exactly know what kind of services we offer. So oftentimes I have to explain to them what we can and cannot do. So thank you for uh, giving the definition. All right. Well, here we go. This is from Wikipedia, tour guide. So a tour guide known in the US or a tourist guide as known in Europe is a person who provides assistance, information on cultural, historical, and contemporary heritage to people on organized sightseeing and individual clients at educational establishments, religious and historical sites, such as museums, and at various venues of tourist attraction resorts. Tour guides also take clients on outdoor guided trips. These trips include hiking, whitewater rafting, mountaineering, alpine climbing, rock climbing, ski and snowboarding in the backcountry, fishing and biking. Yeah, a bit of a mouthful. What do you think about this? And how does it relate to to you and your business? Yeah, that is pretty spot on. Uh, I mean, the adventure part is uh, not as well established with us. We do offer a couple of hiking tours, but uh, that's not our bread and butter, mainly due to liability issues. Uh, We prefer to just do uh, bike tours or walking tours or occasionally by private car. But yeah, that's basically what we do. Um, Because I have so many guides, we have kind of like a selection process. So when a client comes to us, we first try to get to know them a little bit and see what their needs are, and then couple them to the guide that not only speaks their language, but also is aligned with their interests and their needs. So if they are a family with young children, then they'll get a different guide than when they're a young couple or LGBTQ couple or Mm. people with special needs. Okay. If I'm hearing this correctly, almost like consulting, you know, initial consulting, maybe that's the the right word, but in terms of like what it represents, like you're working with that person to really find out what they're after and to ensure that they're going to have a great time, I suppose, right? Yeah, I mean, we won the TripAdvisor uh, Traveler's Choice Award, and that is mainly because we try to cater to the specific needs of the client. So we want to match them with the best possible guide. And uh, that's why we take a bit of extra time and effort to get to know them and see what they need and what sites they want to see and what kind of itinerary would be realistic for them because a lot of people they don't know how big japan is or how big tokyo is so they have this itinerary with uh, 50 things listed (laughs) so you have to take them by the hand and say well actually yeah yeah it's gonna take a little bit more time yeah okay all right. Well, I like that. Yeah, that's that's something that wouldn't pop into my mind initially when when considering that, you know, and uh, I suppose there's a lot of companies out there that don't do that. And that's led to a lot of your success as indicated by that award. So yeah, congrats to you. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, my ex-husband was always telling me, oh, you should just have a platform where uh, people can just uh, hire the tour guide directly and you are out of it and you only get the money. But mm-hmm. that way you cannot control the quality and uh, yeah. also you don't know what kind of guides might apply to the platform. And yeah. especially in the tour guide business, your reputation is everything. So you're only as good as your last review. So if clients think you're shit, then no one will come to you anymore. So we have a reputation to uphold. So yeah, I, I can imagine that as well. Everything you said just makes complete sense there. And I think too, like that's what pretty much most people are doing is that is that platform based, you know, approach to it. 
And it's rare these days to get that personal touch. And when it does come along, you know, customers notice that and they appreciate that. And I think that really helps, you know, any business stand out in any industry if you can do that. So, all right, I like that. What uh, I do have a question here in terms of a, a typical day for you. I mean, most times there, there probably aren't, I'm guessing. You're probably wearing several different hats here, but uh, maybe you could sort of paint a picture for listeners. You know, what what are your main activities, I guess, in this business that you're running? Uh, well, like I said, we do a lot of custom-made trips. So an email might come in and uh, depending on uh, what the client needs, I work together with a partner. She lives in Tokyo and I live in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. So fortunately, she does most of the planning. But if we have like some special requests, I love a challenge. So I love it if someone ask me something crazy that I've never heard from before. Like client would ask for uh, wabi-sabi. I never heard of wabi-sabi. I was like, what's wabi-sabi? I started researching <laughs> and um, wabi-sabi has to do with Japanese aesthetics. And they wanted to do a tour in Tokyo that focuses on that specifically. Now, unfortunately, Tokyo got bombed very heavily during World War II. Mm -hmm. So in terms of uh, Japanese aesthetics, Kyoto would actually be a better fit for that. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I get all kinds of requests and either I handle them personally if they're out of the ordinary, because like I said, I lo love to dig in and yeah. do some research and uh, uh, handle the crazy requests. And my partner, she does all of the mainstream tours. So okay. if it's not too complicated, she will uh, email the client and set up a meeting and ask what they have in mind. And usually it's also several destinations. It's not just Tokyo, but it might be a bike tour in Kamakura and a walking tour in Tokyo and maybe another tour in Osaka or one in Kyoto. Mm -hmm. So she uh, multiple days with different guides. So she plans everything and um sets up the payments. Yeah, that's basically what we do all day. Okay. In terms of, I guess, setting the strategic sort of direction for the company and moving it forward and probably like, you know, we're going to get into this later, but you know, navigating the last couple of years and pivoting and all these things, and that that's a collaborative effort between you and your partner? Uh, well, actually in 2018, my then husband had accepted a position in London. So we were supposed to move back to Europe. So I set up a meeting with uh, my business partner, who was then just an employee, and I asked her if she would be interested in purchasing the company off of me and then uh, doing it by herself. And she said, no, I, I don't want to do that. But have you considered um, having me as a partner? Mm. And uh, I told her, no, actually, I never gave that any thought, but actually, I really like the idea. So let's uh, move forward as a partnership. And then in the end, the move didn't go through. So I just came back to Japan. But since mm -hmm. then, it's been a partnership and uh, we both have our strengths and we are complete opposite of each other. But still, we make it work. We really complement each other. So I love having her around. Excellent. All right. Well, that's a really nice point too. I think that sometimes like that's often overlooked is, is that aspect of entrepreneurship and especially those with business partners, you know, how you can sort of offset each other's weaknesses and, uh, and add to the business in that sense, you know, adding your, your unique takes and, and whatnot. And oftentimes that does require founders or partners to be a little bit different in terms of that. Okay. 
Well, I would like to shift into a new segment here, Nikki, and it's something called Pathways. It is a rather new segment that I've added into the lineup here on this program. And what it represents is this idea of people in terms of their careers, in terms of their businesses, and how they ended up in their profession or how they established their business. You know, oftentimes, I think with youth in particular, they think there's like this straight line is linear. It's like, okay, when you're in your teens, or even as a child, like, okay, I want to do this, I want to be a tour guide, I want to have a tour guide company, and it's just a straight line to the goal. And uh, of course, in real life, it's rarely, rarely the case. So this segment sort of represents that I, I love to, to dig into the backstories of guests, I think it's inspirational for listeners. And it's also just quite compelling. So maybe you could start there. And you know, what led you into this line of business? Well, actually, I've always been very creative and I wanted to do something uh, creative. So my idea as a child was to become an illustrator or maybe a designer. So I went to fashion school for four years and I hated it. (laughs) I love the business. I love being creative, but I got so insecure because everyone was like hyper creative and I felt like, oh, I cannot compare. I had uh, like uh, imposter syndrome, like all the stuff I do shit and I can't do it. Uh, I didn't feel good. And also in the fashion world, everyone is like, oh, look at me, look at me, look at me. And uh, it's very shallow and it's really hard to really get to know people. So then I took a year off and I thought I'm going to work in the fashion industry and really get to know it and then decide, do I want to continue into Mm -hmm. fashion or do I want to do something else? Because if you then continue with degree in fashion, then you're kind of stuck, not as easy to switch to something else. That's right. And studying marketing or economics or something like that. So I took the year off and I decided I hated fashion especially the people that work in fashion, or at least I thought it's not for me. So then I decided to study marketing. So I majored in Asian Pacific management. I studied abroad in Beijing for six months and I learned uh, Mandarin Chinese. And yeah, then I graduated in the early 2000s, was right after 9-11. So it wasn't a great time economically. Mm. Uh, there was a hiring freeze and it was really tough to get a job so I just bounced around different jobs trying to find my ikigai so to speak yeah Uh, that's the Japanese uh, phrase for finding meaning in your life and it's more than just your job it's like everything so what is what is your passion what is your interest what are you good at uh what would you like to do because just because you're good at something doesn't necessarily mean that it's something you should do, you know? Does it bring joy, like the Marie Kondo thing? Mm-hmm. So that is definitely something I have learned along the way. Your work should be your passion. And if it's not, then you're going to go to work with lead in your shoes every day. And it's going to be an uphill struggle. And when you come home, all you do is complain or sleep. But you won't be able to really enjoy your downtime because you're just thinking about that horrible job that you have that you only go to for the money. So find your passion and go after it no matter what it is. And don't stop until you get it. Mm -hmm. And the reason I got in this business is, um, yeah, my husband is Japanese or my ex-husband now. 
And uh, he grew up in the Netherlands and he told me, you know, I've never really lived in Japan and it's my dream to live as a Japanese person in Japan. Mm-hmm. How would you feel about living in Japan for two, three years? Yeah. So I was supposed to put my career on hold for two, three years. We would have our Japanese adventure and then come back to Amsterdam mm-hmm. and live out the rest of our lives together. So I said, yeah, sure. See if you can find a job. I'll quit mine and I'll follow you. And I'm sure I can get a job there easily. (laughs) So I went there and uh, I used my husband's last name. And uh, so people assumed that I was Japanese going by my resume. And they thought, oh, she's Japanese, but she can speak English really well. Mm-hmm. And everywhere I went, it was like, oh, so you're fluent in Japanese. I'm like, oh, not exactly. <laughs> so uh, I thought, oh, I'll just apply at the Dutch embassy. I'll just sit behind one of those uh, windows and I'll just yeah. hand out passports all day long. And I'm not going to have a great salary, but at least it's something. And even there, they said, no, fluent Japanese. I'm like, what? <laughs> And uh, yeah, so that didn't work. So I thought, oh, well, you know, I I was uh, able to speak Chinese in six months. So I mean, Japanese is probably going to be the same. I'll just study it for six months and then I'll be fluent or Mm semi-fluent. And then two years in, I still was (laughs) fluent in Japanese and was really frustrated and like, oh, it's still not good enough to get a job. A friend of mine, she actually um, supported me and said, you should start your own business. And at first I was like, oh, but I can't. I've never tried it before. And it's going to be super hard. And with the Japanese uh, legislation and all the rules and all the, I can't Mm. do it. And she said, yeah, you should. You should just do it. So then I thought, oh, okay, I'll I'll just do it. I'll create a website. I get registered. I'm sure nothing will come of it. And within a week, someone emailed me like, oh, yeah, I heard you do guided tours and I want to do a tour with you. And I just literally fell off my chair like, oh, my God, I never expected (laughs) it. It's happening. It's happening. (laughs) I really wasn't expecting it. And it's different showing your friends or family around than actually getting paid for it so I was just really scrambling and trying to come up with something and at first sometimes I would get questions and I didn't know the answer so I would just come up with something so it wasn't 100% correct but you learn along the way and you learn to anticipate the kind of questions you'll get so yeah, that's definitely something I would advise people who are young or or who are just starting out. Just dive in. You don't need to have all the answers, and uh, mm-hmm. you'll learn along the way. And no one is perfect, and no one is expecting you to be perfect. So if you don't know the answer, just say, "Oh, that is a really interesting question. I will get back to you later," and yeah. it'll be fine. Yeah, I really like that. I mean, that, that it perfectly illustrates, you know, this this non-linear pathway to where, you know, people end up in their professions or more businesses in, in your case here. So I think, yeah, it's a valuable lesson for young people, I think, in that sense is keeping an open mind. But also, you know, you have to have some strategic in there, too. Like you said, you know, during the course of it, if you continue down that path within fashion, you're really sort of like pigeonholing yourself into one particular industry. And you're right. I mean, it gets the, the deeper you get into it, the tougher it is to kind of claw your way back out of it. So 
yeah, a ton of ton of you know goodness in terms of insight and wisdom in that uh, in that segment there, Nikki. Thanks for sharing that. I do want to move into another segment here, if you don't mind, a Q and A discovery. And this one, I would like to fast forward to present day right now, or even in the last couple of years. As we all know, I mean, COVID it really like decimated you know a lot of industries and affected people in so many different ways. And from a pure business standpoint, like I can't think of an industry that was affected more than travel and tourism. And you started yours within 2013. So I'd really be curious to know about how you managed that time. Like, how did you find ways to pivot? How did you find ways to to continue, you know, flat out? You know, I'd love to hear that. Well, it was super challenging because 2020 came along and it was supposed to be the best year ever because of the Olympics. And we had to tell people no, because we were just overwhelmed with applications for people wanting to do tours with us. And then it just evaporated and everyone was like, yeah, we want our money back and we want to cancel and it's a force majeure, so no cancellation fee. And then my partner, my business partner, she had a nervous breakdown and she was like, I can't even look at the mailbox anymore. It's just... Mm. I'm feeling dizzy and uh, nauseous. and uh, So I told her, well, you pull out completely right now and let me handle it. And uh, let me know when you're ready to come back. So it was double hard. So I had my partner who was like falling apart. I had the business that was falling apart. And uh, there was no end in sight because at first we were like, oh, this might just blow over. And then the borders closed, like, no, this is serious. And then schools closed and it was just horrible. Mm -hmm. So my first instinct was to invest, um, to to put more money in the business. So I did a complete overhaul for the website and started putting more effort into my social media channels. That's when I realized the most growth on my social media channels because I was just posting literally every two hours. Wow. Wow. And uh, I was thinking, yeah, I don't really have anything to do. There's nowhere to go. So this is the only thing I can do. And it gave me a certain sense of control. Like, oh, at least there's something going right in my life. I can see the number (laughs) of people that are following me is growing. And um, yeah, I'm starting to explore more like what makes a good blog post? How do I get more visitors to the website? What is a good Facebook post? What kind of content works? What kind of hashtags work? Mm -hmm. What kind of um, strategies should I have on Instagram versus uh, LinkedIn. So it sounds like, sorry to interrupt, it sounds like you're you're basically sort of planning or you're preparing yourself for when, you know, the tap would turn back on, when, when the country would open back up, you would be fully ready for it. It sounds like yeah. to me that's kind of your approach during that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to keep people engaged and interested. And uh, because all of the travel businesses were falling over left and right and going out yeah. of business. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I might add for listeners as well. I mean, Japan had just been you know, in the last five or six years has really just blown up in terms of inbound tourism. I think the latest stat that I dug up in prepping for this talk was they were expecting prior to COVID 32 million inbound visitors and year in, year out, it'd been breaking new records in terms of the amount of people coming in. So like there is this pent up demand for people wanting to come in 
And I'm sure you were thinking during this time is like, well, when this thing does get back on course, there's going to be even more pent up sort of demand for it. People are going to come back in eventually. So I'm just going to be ready for it. I guess that's kind of your approach. Yeah, I mean, financially, it's definitely been challenging. And uh, I decided to come back to the Netherlands in 2021. I didn't have any money. I didn't have a bank account anymore. I literally came back with two bags, completely empty-handed. I didn't have anyone to fall back on or to help me out. My relationship had uh, dissolved. So I had to manage on my own. And I Mm. can assure you that it is very hard and scary to start something new and you don't know what's going on or what's going to happen. Also, in terms of quitting your job, uh, obviously this wasn't the case for me, but if you're thinking about quitting your job, stop thinking and just do it. Even if you don't have another job lined up, you're not going to be your best if you go into job interviews thinking about this frustration that you have in your old job and you won't be able to really portray yourself as the individual that you are and to uh, convey the strengths that you Mm. have if you're still with this frustration in your mind. So just, you're sick of it, just quit. It doesn't matter. You land on your feet, believe in yourself and your own strength and everything will work out fine. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I guess getting back to, you know, Japan per se, in terms of the appeal, the appeal of Japan. I'd love to know, you know, from the standpoint of you and your business, what do you think it is that appeals to so many foreigners visiting or considering a visit towards Japan? What is it that... uh... Japan is, of course, very exotic and um, it's been closed off for so many years. I mean, only the Dutch were allowed to uh, have contact with Japan for years. Uh, From Nagasaki, they were on Deshima, the small island that was uh, made especially for them. And then uh, later the Americans wiggled in and and broke open the country. And then when they came in, all of the other countries came after and said, oh, we want a piece of the pie too. And uh, Japan was quite weak at the time. So because they've been closed off for so long, they were able to establish this very unique culture. Mm-hmm. And there's so many things that are very unique about Japan that you cannot find anywhere else, like the food culture, the pop culture, the nature. I mean, Japan is a very long, stretched out country. So you have like snow in the north and ski areas and uh, uh, then some mountain ranges in the middle and lots of cities and culture and beaches and tropical islands and wild river rafting and cycling paths and so you have everything so you don't even have to leave japan anymore and still experience everything the world has to offer yeah no that's well said well said it kind of encapsulates that all and i I relate that point it is quite exotic in that sense and due in part to the history, as you mentioned, you know, I think there's certain elements of Japanese culture that remain true hundreds, thousands of years back, you know, you can see it within everyday life, even with business culture, uh, a bunch of different things. So for tourists who are coming in, it's just it's eye opening, you know, it's completely eye opening. 
You know, in, in terms of moving on to another question here, I did mention this off the top, some of your efforts, and you've already spoken to this as well, as far as what you were doing during this downtime during COVID, is building up your social channels. And again, 20,000 followers on Instagram, over 30,000 on Facebook, and nearly 500,000 in one Facebook group alone. You know, how would you say those efforts have impacted your business in terms of, I don't know, thought leadership, brand awareness, uh, you know, all of these different things. You know, maybe you could comment on that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, getting reviews is the most important thing for any business. So as soon as you work with a client, no matter what way, get them to write about you because that's the best advertising you can get. It's better than having a good Google campaign or having good SEO on your website or uh, having a good uh, Facebook campaign, it all doesn't matter if your reviews aren't good. So that's the your main concern. If you can only do one thing right, then do that. And of course, your website, that's like the face of your company. So make sure your website has a clear image and portrays who you are and portrays who your business is and what services you provide. Basically with any effort you're making in communicating with clients, you have about three seconds to grab their attention. So whatever it is you're doing, make sure that immediately they're drawn into what you're saying or what your message is. And it's immediately clear like, oh, I want this. I need this. What's this about? Mm -hmm. If you don't have that within three seconds, they're going to move on to something else. So yeah, that's uh, what you need to focus on. Mm-hmm. Can you give an example in terms of like how you would engage with, you know, people that are interested in, in visiting Japan? How would you do? How would you go about those things, you know, in terms of your business? Like with a video or with like a, an engaging photo or a question or? Yeah, it depends on the platform. So what works on LinkedIn doesn't work on Instagram or doesn't work on Facebook. So Whatever it is you do, it has to be personal and it has to evoke an emotion. So if you can post a video where you comment on something or post a video of you being somewhere, that works well. Or if you post photos, preferably something with people or that evokes some kind of emotion. So animals also work well. but. As soon as people see what you're doing, they have to immediately think, oh, I want that. What is that? Yeah, Let me right. see. And also the text. If you add a text. Uh, so what I usually do is I make a post and then I just I start off with the location because to me, uh, the location is most important. So if you mm-hmm. are showing a photo of a um, site, then it should have the place name of the site. Yeah, there, of course, right? yeah. And then when once I share that photo in a group or somewhere else, then I have a tagline. And the tagline is usually in the form of a question. So I want to uh, invoke some kind of response so people feel the urge to say something. Because the more people will like, the more people will yeah. share. Then the like engagement. A- yeah. Yeah. Okay, now that's going to be really, really helpful advice, I think, to those that are, you know, considering this, these types of activities, whether it's within, you know, a tour guide business or, or something else completely. But returning to the tour guide business itself, another aspect of your business that I found really interesting, too, was this, this uh, additional service that you offer, you know, uh, relating to the LGBTQ community. And you have services 
you know, for, for those types of clients interested in exploring that aspect of Japanese culture. And, you know, I find that both heartening and equally fascinating in the sense that it, it's not something that would be mainstream, and especially here within Japanese culture. So was this, here's the question, was this offering something that been requested by clients or was this something that was more strategic on your behalf that you're going to put this out there to start creating this extra service that people might be, you know, interested in? Uh, well, actually I was approached by um, LGBTQ travel business that is located in Italy that arranges trips abroad specifically catering to LGBTQ people. And he contacted me and said if I would be open to that. Mm. And uh, I never considered it, but I thought, yeah, that, that might be something. So, uh, of course, I mean, I'm always welcoming to any people yeah. from whatever background or interest they have. Of course, yeah. And then I got to know uh, this trans lady who works more as a concierge. So she has a lot of VIP uh, access to clubs and events, and uh, she can get you into all of the exclusive parties and behind the scene mm. access and all that kind of thing. But she also knows, the, um, especially in Tokyo, all of the sites that are of interest of people with an LGBTQ background. So mm. uh, we came to an understanding and whenever I have clients interested in that, then she can help out. I mean, I've also had some authors who wanted to go to uh, especially Yokohama and uh, Shinjuku to explore the red light district and write a book about that specifically. So we also uh, arranged that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm mm. always open to new things. Yeah, it sounds like it. And that kind of leads me in my next question here. Like, I, I'm guessing just in listening you know, through the course of this conversation that you have these interesting requests from time to time, and you'd already mentioned how that's something that appeals to you. It's, it's, it's fun. You know, you can kind of dig in and learn for yourself, I'm guessing here. Uh, I'd love to know about a little bit more about that or other elements of your business that you, you really enjoy. And then also on the, the flip side of things, maybe things that are a little bit stressful in terms of running this particular type of business. Uh, well, I have a yes attitude, so uh, I prefer to just say yes, and then I'll take it from there and see where yeah. I, where it'll get me. And my biggest strength is determination. So if I say yes to something, I never make promises I cannot keep. So I had a couple, or it's actually two couples from Belgium who had their own restaurant. Uh, like a really high-end restaurant, and they wanted to come to Japan and uh, visit the Wagyu farm, uh, you know, one of those farms where they yep. massage the cows. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But at the time, foot and mouth disease had broken out. So all of the farms were like, no visitors! Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Foot and mouth. And so I literally had to call every farm in Japan <laughs> and uh, as soon as they found out, like, oh, what is this for? It's foreigners. And no, 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 no. So um, it took like days of being on the phone to okay. finally find a farm who would be open to that. And they yeah. said, well, they have to do it at the end of their trip. So first, once they arrive, they have to get a test. And then uh, at the mm -hmm. end, uh, yeah. if they still not have any symptoms, then they can come. 
but so yeah it was challenging but it's i feel it's very rewarding if you can make it happen yeah yeah i think that story perfectly encapsulates it you know some of the challenges associated with it but then also to that, that reward at the end of the day when you can serve those needs and then i'm sure that the, the pure satisfaction and elation that uh that's you know, coming from the guests themselves that are able to experience something yeah, that rare, that unusual. It's not even about the money, you know, it's just the yeah. thrill of being able to achieve something that seems impossible. Totally, totally. All right. Well, maybe we can shift over into this middle segment. It's something called a water cooler story segment. And you've already shared a few stories with listeners already, but I'd be curious if you have anything else for us today. Well, the fun thing about being a tour guide is that you get paid to do something that is really fun. And of course, not all of the clients are fun. And sometimes you have clients who don't like anything you do, or they're very challenging or not very open. So that can sometimes be hard. But at other times, it's, you feel almost ashamed of taking people's money like oh uh, this has been so fun for me i should be paying you <laughs> uh, like there was this gay couple um and they came to uh, japan and one of the guys in the couple he was doing these um voices so he would see people on the train or something and he would have this whole conversation laid out and it was hilarious and i laughed so much during the whole day that i felt sorry <laughs> for taking their money and i was like this has been so entertaining i haven't had this much fun in such a long time so yeah nice. that, that's again going back to finding your passion and i mean i have a degree in marketing so i thought well it doesn't really matter what i do as long as it's marketing whether it's it or finance yeah. or whatever but if it's not your passion if if the subject is not of interest to you, even though the money is good, don't do it. Just mm -hmm. make sure that it's something you're passionate about because then it won't feel like work. Yeah, yeah. Well said. All right. Well, we are rounding the turn here into the last segment, actually, Nikki, a crystal ball segment. And here we're usually looking at trends, predictions, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, in terms of, I guess, Japan and the way it's moving right now, I've kind of mentioned this, things are opening back up. You know, I've heard chatter from the Japanese government, you know, within the press of different projects that they might be interested in to help accentuate this inbound tourism. You know, one of them is that developing extra infrastructure, four and five star hotels. Another thing I've heard is that uh, maybe a new class of visas for temporary residents to kind of come in and fill some of these vacant homes that are left by this aging population within Japan. Be curious to hear about any other chatter that you're hearing within the travel and tourism industry based within Japan. Uh, yeah, you're spot on with the, the direction it's going. Also, people are looking for a more immersive experience. So they don't want to just visit the sites, but it needs to be something special. Like, for instance, my uh, special LGBTQ guide who mm. really gives the experience. So... A lot of people that come to Japan, they don't want just a regular person to show them around yeah. or a licensed tour guide. They want someone with a backstory that has something in addition to offer. That's why we have so many different guides and that's why we try to cater to those specific needs. Okay. Also, really quickly too, as I mentioned off the top, that you do have a book coming out. Maybe you could uh, quickly give a, a quick synopsis on that. What are you working on in terms of that? Uh, yes, it's called 10 Years in Tokyo, 
And it's basically, I've been, since I've been back, I've been talking about all these cultural aspects of Japan and everyone is like so amazed. Like, oh, this is, I've never heard about this thing and it's amazing. And how do you know this stuff? So everyone's been encouraging me to start writing a book. So basically what I've been doing is I take all these cultural aspects of Japan and I'm writing about it from my own personal experience and explain how it's significant to me or how it has impacted my life and what my personal experience has been with this specific aspect of the Japanese culture. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to to seeing that when it finally comes out. So yeah, thanks for sharing. All right. Well, I must say, Nikki, it's been an absolute pleasure. I mean, this conversation has just flown by time-wise. I have a bunch of other questions here lined up I could go after, but I am conscious of your time. And uh, yeah, thanks again for sharing so much. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun for me too. So uh, I look forward to uh, getting in touch with your listeners and uh, hopefully showing them around Japan. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, for those interested in learning more about Nikki and her work, you can check her out on Instagram, Facebook, under at Tokyo Tours. You can also find her on LinkedIn at Nikki-Yoshihara. And for reference, all of this will be included in the show notes in terms of full links. And if you like today's show, please be sure to share. I mean, it goes a long ways in the spirit of this conversation, what we were speaking of. Yeah, sharing does count. And also too, as Nikki had alluded to, rate, review, and subscribe. That stuff really, really helps also. And then if you do have some time, head on over to YouTube. I do have a channel over there. And the cool thing is you'll be able to take this talk in, in a different manner. We'll have some imagery associated with the actual conversation. So that's a lot of fun. So check that out. And then of course, please don't forget to tune into the next episode of Life As Up, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living.